I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer vital health questions that will help you thrive, like, what does my mental health have to do with my gut? How can I prevent melanoma? How much sleep do I really need? And how can I manage my health without a family doctor? I chat with the top experts to bring you the latest evidence in plain language, all in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. We got a Stats Canada report. About a million people in this country work more than one job. One third of people are saying that they have to work more than one job just to pay for the essentials. Hi, I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. Welcome to Cross Country Checkup, the podcast. It's extremely common. Probably more than 70% of people that I talk to have some side gig, side hustle. They're working on a business on the side. Our question, why are you working a second job? Are you happy with your side hustle or is it stressing you out? I'm working two jobs, uh, working between uh, 70 to 75 hours a week, believe it or not. And that is putting a strain on you know family life, not really seeing my family as much. I do work a full-time job. It's in the IT sector. I actually work my full-time job and I'll do maybe four to five jobs on the side. I'm over 50 years old now. I've never worked as hard. We are a slave to the app. We have to keep our eye on it to receive orders. We're being tracked everywhere we go back and forth. So there's an invisible chain around our neck. Cross-country checkup, the national, honestly, I have my hands full with one job. I truly can't imagine what life would be like if I took on another, even if it was just a few hours a week. But that is exactly what many of you do, often because your salary from your primary job isn't enough to make ends meet, though that extra money does come with a cost to your time and maybe your well-being. We all need to relax, reflect, recharge, but how do you do that when you're running from job to job to job? Our question, why are you working a second job? Are you happy with your side hustle or is it stressing you out? In the last half hour, has the carbon tax got you worried this winter? Our AMA is on heat pumps and whether they make sense for you. I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. From CBC Radio, this is Check Up, the podcast. Cross-country checkups live broadcast from November 12, 2023. And before we get to our main topic, let's get an update on the war between Israel and Hamas. Ellen Morrow is a senior reporter with CBC News. We've reached her live in Jerusalem. Hi, Ellen. Hey, Ian. The Rafah crossing reopened today after being closed the previous two days, and Canadians are among those crossing into Egypt. Uh, What do we know about how those evacuations are going? Well, it's been a long, tough wait for so many people trying to get across the Rafah border crossing from Gaza into Egypt. What we can tell you today, Ian, is that according to information from Global Affairs Canada, that between 232 and 234 uh, Canadians or people with connections to Canada did make it out of Gaza today through that Rafah border crossing, uh, transported from the crossing uh, by bus to Cairo. They're arriving there overnight tonight and into tomorrow morning morning for further processing and then onward travel. Now, last week on Tuesday and Thursday, Canadians were also able to get get out on those days, Canadians and people with connections to Canada, 107 people in total on those days as well. So 
These are people, Ian, who've lived through an unimaginable more than a month of war, of bombardment, of fighting, of not having access to supplies, an incredibly difficult time, uh, who are now uh, in a much safer place. Um, we still know, though, that it's believed there are several hundreds of Canadians and people with connections to Canada who may still be stuck in Gaza. And the Rafa border crossing is very unpredictable day by day. We never really know the day before if it's going to open the next day. There are very complicated negotiations uh, surrounding it. Uh, injured Palestinians, some injured Palestinians are being taken out of Gaza and into Egypt for medical care. That's also part of the negotiations. So when the Canadians and people with connections to Canada, the remaining uh, in Gaza will be able to get out, that's very unclear and hard to say, Ian, but for those who have managed to leave and their loved ones, they can breathe a sigh of relief tonight. We're speaking live with Ellen Morrow, senior reporter with CBC News, and she's bringing us the latest on what's happening in the Israel-Hamas war. Ellen, uh, missile strikes in Gaza continuing. Uh, there's been fighting near hospitals, including the hospital, which Israeli forces say is home to a Hamas command center. Um, how is all of that contributing to the, the humanitarian crisis? Well, to focus on Al-Shifa Hospital, which you referenced there, Ian, directly, it's an incredibly dire situation. The World Health Organization describing it as dire and perilous. There's no food. There's no water at the facility, according to officials there. And importantly, there's no fuel to power electricity. Uh, earlier today, CBC News managed to reach the director of the hospital. He said that this weekend, in the last two days, three babies have died because there isn't power to run uh, incubators. And we've seen really grim images of babies who are lined up, lying side by side on beds because, again, they should be in incubators, but there's no power to run those. He also told us that three intensive care patients have died because of a lack uh, of fuel. And we've seen images of doctors, Ian, in that hospital using flashlights, treating patients and using just flashlights to see what they're doing. So a very dire situation. There's been uh, fierce fighting around that hospital uh, for days. Now, uh, Israel said that it will help evacuate the babies that remain. It's believed there's about 37 babies still at that facility. But the details of that are very uh, unclear, and there are mounting concerns about the safety of the other babies, the premature babies who remain at the facility. Israel also said that it opened up an evacuation corridor for civilians to be able to get out of the hospital. Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister, said 100 people were able to leave through that corridor today out of Al-Shifa. But the International Committee of the Red Cross said tonight that it can't confirm whether or not anyone was able to leave. Uh, the Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry says there's 1,500 patients at Al-Shifa. And on top of that, between 15,000 and 20,000 people who are sheltering inside the facility. Now, the strikes, the fighting there has been widely condemned, Ian, by the UN, by the World Health Organization, by Doctors Without Borders, all calling for an immediate ceasefire. And going back to the Red Cross tonight, it put out a statement saying that the world is watching an unbearable human tragedy unfolding before our eyes, talking more broadly about the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. We are live with the CBC's Ellen Morrow. She's in Jerusalem. You mentioned the calls for a ceasefire. And have you been able to get a sense of how those are being received? Certainly the Arab nations are calling for that. But among 
Israel's allies, it's a, it's a difficult, or supporters at least, it's a, it's a difficult diplomatic situation. It is a difficult, a difficult diplomatic situation, certainly. Um, we have seen Israel time and time again reject those growing calls for a ceasefire. Benjamin Netanyahu did that in interviews on Sunday morning talk shows in, in the U.S. this morning, saying there won't be any ceasefire until hostages are released and that Israel must wipe out Hamas after the October 7th attacks. So those calls for a ceasefire aren't having much impact. Uh, there have been other calls coming from the United States. It doesn't want a ceasefire per se, but it has called on Israel for there to be pauses in the fighting. The U.S. wanted a three-day pause. Israel has not agreed to that, um, but it says it's putting in place uh, what it calls short local tactical pauses. We have seen that over the past week where there's been an evacuation route from the north to the south that's been open uh, for several hours. Tens of thousands of people in Gaza moved from the north to the south on those routes this week. But still, as the humanitarian crisis grows, Ian, as the toll on civilians grows, those calls for a ceasefire are only going to grow louder. Very late on a Sunday night in Jerusalem, where you're speaking to us live from, Ellen. We really appreciate the update. Thank you. Ellen Morrow, senior reporter with CBC News, and we reached her in Jerusalem. Let's turn now to the main topic here on Cross Country Checkup. We're live from Vancouver, and our question, why are you working a second job? Are you happy with your side hustle, or is it stressing you out? Let's start the conversation with Mary Clark, a social worker who has, count them, three different jobs. She works in in long-term care four days a week. She also works as a counsellor and does corporate mentoring to make some extra money. That adds up to a six-day work week, and she's been doing this since 2021. We've reached her in Pembroke, Ontario. That's about 150 kilometres northwest of Ottawa. Hi, Mary. Hi, Ian. How are you today? I'm doing well. So describe for us why you made this decision to take on so much extra work. So for me, I think it it came in summer of 21. Um, I was carrying some COVID hitting, um, and like many people, heard more debt uh, during the course of COVID. You know, you know what, Mary? Let, let me let me just jump in, Mary. We're having a little bit of trouble uh, with probably what's a cell phone connection where you are in Pembroke to where we are. So our control room is going to try reconnecting with you, and uh, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you in a moment. And and Mary's going to, if we can reconnect, I'm sure we can. She's going to tell us about uh, holding down three jobs uh, and uh, and and all that's uh, involved with that. Um, let's move ahead now, Francoise. Mathieu is the executive director of TEND. That is a consulting firm which specializes in organizational health. She is a registered psychotherapist and she is in Kingston, Ontario. Hi, Francoise. Hi, good afternoon. So in your practice, you've spoken to people who work multiple jobs. Um, How does it affect their health, particularly their mental health? Right. So we're definitely seeing some health impacts of overwork, whether that's exhaustion, irritability, and it might also be irritability at home. You know, you kind of keep a good front in the workplace. We're seeing a lot of difficulty with sleep, decreased overall health. So people not having a chance to do regular exercise or eat healthily, reduce social time, you know, with family and friends. And we're also seeing an increased use in stimulants and numbing substances to kind of cope with overwork as well. 
So as a psychotherapist, you are at times trying to help people through these sorts of challenges. So if somebody walks in the door and says, look, I, I feel like I need to do this second job. I know the hours are punishing. I feel that punishment, um, but and, and it's affecting me in a lot of ways. What what do you say to them? What can you say to them? Right. So I do both organizational consulting. So I work with organizations who are trying to keep their staff healthy and retain their staff, and then individuals who are trying to figure out how to sort out a quality of life in the middle of a complicated work landscape. When I'm talking to individuals, I'm definitely not going to say that bubble baths and you know self-care <laughs> is going to solve everything. I'm sure people are sick and tired of hearing about that, and I'm not saying that. What I do see, though, is if you don't have any choice over the types of jobs you're working at, because as you know, we saw a lot of job shift, right? As a result of the pandemic, we saw a massive migration of people who left certain workplaces because they didn't feel they were getting the proper support or work conditions. So let's pretend you don't have control over that. I'm really focusing on after work recovery that really looks at resetting your nervous system. So for example, I'm sure we've all done this where we were exhausted and we watched Netflix until the sign said, you know, are you still there? Or we were on Instagram <laughs> or TikTok for, you yeah. know, until the hand fell off. And I'm really encouraging people to think about recovery as short-term, short-time activity. So that could be a few minutes of doing whatever you want to do, play a video game, whatever, but not for two hours. Giving your chance, you know, your body a chance to recover, go outside, get a bit of fresh air, get your brain a chance to get a break from all those interruptions you keep having with all the notifications we receive and so on. We're here live with Françoise Mathieu. And she's a registered psychotherapist and an expert in occupational health. Our question today on Cross Country Checkup, why are you working a second job? Are you happy with your side hustle or is it stressing you out? Our number is 1-888-416-8333. You can also connect with us via cbc.ca slash aircheck. And there you can make comments or say, hey, I'd like to be on the show. I want to play a clip from somebody named Scott Scheman, a professor of sociology at the University of Toronto. He and his colleagues have been conducting a large-scale survey of Canadian workers, including an investigation of why some people take on a second job. So the number one motivator that we found was people saying they wanted to earn extra money. The second answer is I don't earn enough or work enough in my main job. So that's a combination of the hours and or the amount that they're making. And then the third most common motivation is actually not related to money. It's to pursue an outside interest or a favorite hobby. And then the fourth one that was interesting for us, which actually ticked up during the pandemic, was they're doing the side hustle or the other job to develop new skills. There's a last category, which is seeing a second job as a backup plan in case the main job doesn't work out. That's Scott Scheman, a professor of sociology and Canada Research Chair in the Social Context of Health. Interesting to hear all four of those categories. And if you're listening or watching the program right now and you're thinking, hey, yeah, yeah I fit into category three or category one, I uh, hope that you give us a call at 1-888-416-8333. Uh, Francoise, as Scott describes it, some Canadians feel they have to take a second job. That's easy to understand. But then there are also many people, according to Stats Canada, two-thirds of the people with second jobs don't do it out of financial necessity. And so it's, you know, because, well, we heard some of the categories of why, what they might want to do. In, in your experience, have you seen people who have pursued second jobs for fulfillment or, yeah, just maybe pursuing a passion? Sure. I mean, 
here's the reality. Not everyone has a day-to-day job that's super interesting or engaging. That's just a fact, right? <laughs> like sometimes it just pays the bills and that's totally fine. And so what I've seen is sometimes people picked another added job that was really in alignment with their pursuit. So my son is a musician, but it's not necessarily what he can do all day to pay the bills, but it's definitely going to be his second gig. I know someone who's a nurse who really wanted to become a firefighter. And so he started, you know, moonlighting mood, as a volunteer firefighter while working 12 hour shifts as a nurse in order to become a firefighter. Yeah. And sometimes those situations, well, I mean, 12 hours plus a firefighter, that sounds tough by any measure, but sometimes those second jobs might almost seem like like recreation, right? Like some people will do uh, a very uh, involved hobby outside of their work hours. And, and some people may be lucky enough that their second job almost fits in that category. Francoise, one last thing before we let you go. Uh, you mentioned to our producer that you travel a lot. And when you travel, uh, you'll jump into a car that's uh, driven by uh, an Uber contractor. Um, yeah. and, and you talk to them a lot. And, and what have you learned about how people juggle various mm. jobs by talking to those Uber drivers? So my kids tease me because it's my constant favorite thing to do is to have conversations with them. And I met one recently who used to be a long distance truck driver. And I said, oh, like, why did you switch to this gig economy? It's not as reliable. And he said, my lifestyle. He said, I wasn't exercising properly. I was sitting for 12 hours at a time. He noted, you know, the statistics about long distance truck drivers have, you know, higher mortality rates. Like he really made the calculus based on his own health and well-being. And he decided that he was going to return to doing ride sharing instead of long distance truck driving. I thought that was a really interesting example. Yeah. And and actually, as a follow-up to that, I think you do have advice for people who are maybe not driving a truck, but stuck in front of a computer screen for long, long hours and and, and going from job to job and in terms of some of the, the physical breaks they need to take. Right. So there's a recent study that suggested, and as I say this, please, everyone have an open mind. I struggle with this too. Uh, The recommendation is every 25 minutes, if you're working on screens, to take a four-minute break away from the computer. Just stretch, get up, walk away, and come back. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm cramming, I can easily spend four hours without even stopping, you know, and it's affecting our eyesight. It's affecting our concentration as well. And it turns out that when we're not constantly switch tasking, which is, you know, being interrupted by a text while you're doing an email and so on, if you're not constantly interrupted and you take mini micro breaks, you're actually more productive and less tired at the end of the day. Yeah, that's really good advice. I've said this before on the program, but when people were working from home, my wife, I I saw her, she went on the computer from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting, always a couple of minutes late for the next one, never with a break. I'd say to her, you know, she'd walk around the block between meetings. She'd look at me like I was speaking a completely undecipherable language. Uh, But maybe I'll quote you, Francoise, and uh, explain how important it is for people to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Francoise Mathieu is uh, the executive director at TEND. That's a consulting firm which specializes in organizational health. She's also a registered psychotherapist and she is in Kingston, Ontario. So we would love to hear from you. Maybe your second job is your real passion, something you don't do for money, or maybe you are the boss and you have some insights on what it feels like when you see your employee running out the door and you know that they are headed to their second job. Our question, why are you working a second job? Are you happy with your side hustle or is it stressing you out? Our number is one 888-416-8333. Our text number is 226-758-8924. I think we can reconnect with Mary Clark now. We'd started talking with her and the phone line wasn't so good. Hi, Mary. 
Hi, Ian. How Good. are you? Is this better? Can you hear me okay? Oh, it sounds fantastic. So uh, just to remind our audience, or for those people who just tuned in, you are in Pembroke. You uh, work in long-term care four days a week. Uh, also work as a counselor. You do corporate mentoring. It all adds up to a six-day work week, which you started back in 2021. So so why? Why do you, why do you take on so much work? So, Ian, for me, it was really debt. Um, Prior to COVID, I had some debt, and then going through COVID, I accumulated more debt. So, for me, I was starting to have some financial difficulties in terms of meeting all of my obligations. Uh, And so, for me, I felt that something sort of had to give, so to speak. So, I took a look at sort of what my options were, and for me, one option is to pick up additional work. I didn't have any difficulty finding work in my field, which I was fortunate for. Um, so I decided to increase my work week to a six, sometimes seven-day work uh, week um, to bring in extra money so that I could start to aggressively pay off the debt that I was facing um, because they were really causing me quite a bit of stress. And uh, I did not want to declare bankruptcy or, or go that route. So really, for me, it was about paying paying off some debts and getting myself mm-hmm. in a better place financially. Yeah. Uh, everything was starting to go up around that time. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of variables. Uh, and I know you've talked about them on your show before that, that we can't control for the cost of groceries, you know, the cost of uh, interest rates going up and all those things. So for me, it was about putting myself in a better place yep. financially. And, and what impact has it had on you, on your on your health, on your relationship with your kids? Well, yeah, tell us about the impact. So for me, it's been absolutely exhausting. You know, I I uh, I, I wouldn't say anything different than that. Um, when you get to the sixth day, and yet you, you know you have to get up and and work that seventh day, that that can be daunting. Uh, fortunately, I love what I do as a social worker, and I love the people I'm with, and I love the people I work for. So once I get to work, I do feel pretty energized. Um, but it it. it it makes it difficult when you know you don't have that that day off or that break. Um, so for me, you know, there I've, I'm always worried about my health, Ian. I'm always worried. Mm-hmm. I wonder how long can I maintain this? Mm-hmm. Um, it has taken time away from spending time with my 15-year-old daughter, which is difficult. I, I didn't see any other way to kind of improve our situation over the long term than take on the extra work. And so for me, it was sort of that... Um, short-term pain for long-term gain. I have been able to, as of September, go down to just working the six days a week. So I do at least have one day a week off now, and it's Mm -hmm. Sundays, uh, that I can spend time with my daughter. I can get out to church. I can do some things for myself. Uh, Mary Clark, a social worker. She lives just outside Pembroke, Ontario, and we're talking to her about the multiple jobs she has. Mary, one last thing. How much longer will you be keeping this up, do you think? I think in terms of working the six-day work week, I'm think, I think, Ian, I'm looking at another year, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. But I think at that point, I will be able to go to, back to a five-day-a-week work week. And at that point, I'm going to be in a much better financial position in terms of having paid off a significant amount of debt. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think in the long term, it, it will be worth it. But it certainly hasn't been easy. And um you know, it was, I think it was the right choice for me, but I'm constantly monitoring my own, you know, mental and physical health. And if there comes a point where I feel it's taking uh, too big a toll, you know, I would certainly have to, to take a look at that and reassess my situation.
Yeah, well, uh, it's interesting hearing your story. I hope you do manage to to cut back on your uh, six-day and sometimes uh, seven-day-a-week schedule, Mary. Thank you very much for uh, connecting with us. Okay, thank you, Ian. Have a great day. Yeah, you too, Mary Clark, social worker just outside Pembroke, Ontario. Coming up, what does the law have to say about working two jobs at at once? We'll run a few scenarios by an employment lawyer later in the program. Our question, why are you working a second job? Are you happy with your side hustle or is it stressing you out? Our number is 1-888-416-8333. You can also text us 226-758. 8924, text number 226-758-8924. Rob Machuk is in Calgary. Hi, Rob. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for taking my call. Yeah, thank you very much for calling in. So you have two jobs. Uh, tell me about those. Uh, so um, actually, your uh, for, uh, I think it was your first guest, maybe mm-hmm. your second one, uh, Francoise Mathieu. She yep. pulled in my heartstrings because she was uh, talking about how one of her uh, her son is a musician, and mm-hmm. and how that's always going to be his side hustle. I was a professional classical musician for seventeen years. Um, I had uh, adjunct positions at two post secondary institutions and part time positions at four symphony orchestras, and I lived a comfortable life and really enjoyed it for a long time until the pandemic happened, mm. uh, which uh, really tore apart the music industry. And in actual fact, I was interviewed by the mayor of Calgary about the state of affairs of the performing arts industry in 2021. But um, <clears throat> during the uh, pandemic, when the lockdowns were happening, I decided that it was time for me to try to diversify a little bit because I consulted a number of resources, including the um, Calgary Region Arts Foundation about um, what the prognosis was for the performing arts industry. And I was informed by some subject matter experts that uh, in their professional opinion, it would take 10 to 15 years, if not more, for the performing arts industry to recover and come back to yeah. what it was, if that would were to ever happen. So I developed three different side hustles. One was refurbishing vintage musical instruments. One was doing some translating work, French to English and English to French for the uh, uh, public and private sectors. And the third one was technology consulting for audio engineering for live music events and, uh, and studio recordings, uh, lighting design, um, videography for corporate conferences, uh, video editing, things like that. And that ended up becoming my new career. Uh, so I run a technology, uh, a technology consulting firm, which, um, which uh, which I founded, which um, uh, serves seven mm-hmm. different uh, small audiovisual firms right. and uh, helps them cross-pollinate and exchange staff and exchange professional resources yeah. and information. And uh, I also work for them periodically as a laborer or yeah. I take over their business operations when their owner operator is out of town. So Rob, let me just ju- let me just jump in and ask you then. Um, so <clears throat> it sounds like a lot of stuff you're doing. Um, why continue to toggle among those, it sounds like basically three main uh, sources of income. Is it because you need that to, to sort of give you a total income that's a livable income or, or is there another motivation? Uh, well, I mean, the, the technology consulting thing has taken a little while to take off. And thankfully, the uh, performance aspect of the performing arts industry has come back enough that I can continue to perform with orchestras, uh, you know, every other weekend or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and during the week and the rest of the time I can consult with technology and I don't have to know, I don't have to rely on teaching anymore. And I don't have to rely on the fact that, uh, you know, in Western Canada and Alberta in particular, um, post-secondary programs and, uh, 
post-secondary institutions tend to uh, hack performing arts every so often. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I have this, uh, I have this other pursuit now that uh, fills the rest of the time. And the thing that it has in common with uh, what it had, uh, w- with what I had with music for 17 years, is that every day I'm working at a new place with new people from a new time until a new time at a new venue on new material. Um, and uh, so my life is just as chaotic now as it was <laughs> back then. And uh, I embraced it then. I embrace it now. I embrace okay. both the physical and the intellectual aspects of the job. And I think that uh, having a second job has, in my experience so far, been an opportunity to diversify and to network with even more people. And uh, and it's it's been a blessing. So Interesting. I'm, I'm quite grateful for it. Okay. And we're grateful for your call. Thanks, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. You, you'll hear me on the show as you're listening or watching Cross Country Checkup live from Vancouver. Uh, I mention often AirCheck. So what you do is you go online, cbc.ca slash AirCheck. And once you get there, you can either say, I'd like to be on the program and leave your information and uh, a producer will call you back. Or you can leave a comment and the following people did the latter, left a comment. One is Jorge Valverde or Valverde Mendoza who's in Barry? I work later than eight o'clock. I work more than one job. It is the real situation in Canada. I am permanently in stress day and night. John Scott Noonan is in, it says, is it Canton de, ha- de Atli or Canton de Hatley, Quebec? Not sure if it's a Anglo community or Francophone community. I work a second job to create multiple income streams because the money is needed to live. We support a home with four children and the dramatic increase in basic life necessities, prices and living costs is swamping the middle income Canadians. Two full-time employees' income supporting a family isn't nearly enough for a modest living standard anymore. And Michelle Paolini uh, is in Pickering. She says, I'm a single female professional and a homeowner. I took a second job to help with the increased cost of living, but it isn't enough. My mortgage has tripled since May of 2022. I'm now selling my house in an effort to stave off financial ruin. So we are interested in hearing your motivation, but also your stories about having to juggle between two or three jobs, what it's like, the impact it has on you. And, um, and if you're giving enough time to each of those jobs. 1-888-416-8333. Maria Kim is in Trail, British Columbia. Hi, Maria. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. Thanks for calling. Uh, Looking at the numbers here, and and they they seem daunting. I I see you have two full-time jobs. You work 70 hours, seven days a week. Um, Is that taking a toll? Oh, um, well, I guess it all depends on what you mean by toll. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's not easy, but you know, when you're so passionate about what you do and what you want to do, um, it, I don't know whether or not it masks it or whether or not it's real, but it, you know, it's, it's the drive and the motivation that allows me to, to want to continue to pursue two full-time jobs, two very separate careers. Mm-hmm. One in the corporate private sector and one in the public education sector. And, um, but at the same time, you know, I, I'm very, very highly aware of my family. I have two elderly parents that I travel and, and see them every two weeks between Trail and Calgary to care for them. Um, and as well, too, just, you know, uh, I have a husband and, and you know, kids. And, um, yeah, and you, you know, so when, you, when I see all of that up front and center for me, um, 
I see it as all being very doable, but you know, I, I, I have um, my mental health up front and center, um, always checking myself to make sure that, you know, is this something that you can do and you can achieve as much as I'm so passionate about, about what I do, you know, again, there's always just like the achievability and just the doability, right? Yeah, you know, um, this this kind of echoes a little bit from our first caller where it is very important for you and for her, I think for everyone, to to be tracking your health, mental health, physical health as you do this. Hey, Maria, have we chatted on the program before? We have. I thought so. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy that you call back. I, I do remember uh, our, our first chat. So, um, so, yeah, 70 hours of work a week, seven days a week. What are the two things you do that so far sound like they're fairly fulfilling for you? Well, so I am a project manager and I'm very passionate about it. I've been a project manager for about 20, gosh, um, maybe 25 years now. Um, Mm -hmm. And it it led me to teaching at the School of Business at one of our regional colleges part-time. And I've been doing that for 15 years. And just recently... Um, I was asked to apply to be um, the school chair of, of our of our school um, at the college, and um, I was taking my doc. Well, I still am taking my doctorate in education at mm-hmm. the same time. Um, and you know, I thought this is this is my next pathway, going from the private sector, the corporate sector of project management, and just um, I found a new passion uh, in education. Sometimes I think education found me, but I found education as well to be something that I'm really passionate about and I wanted to continue to pursue that. And even though I'm in my mid-50s right now, um, I don't really foresee an end. I just, I see a continuum. And I felt that once I'm finished in the private sector, I'll move into education full-time. Had an opportunity now. Talked about it with my husband, for sure. Mm-hmm. Could Could I... This? Could we do this? Can you support me? Would you support me? And absolutely, um, he has, and so has my family. Fantastic. But, um, yeah, but it, it's not, it isn't easy. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that if, if, if it really came down to it where my family needed me more or the most, uh, you know, things ebb and flow, right? Mm-hmm. So some days you're needed a lot more. Some days, you know, work isn't that busy. Um, yeah, I can take a weekend, things like that. But, but really, you know, at the end of the day, I know that my family comes first and I would drop anything for them. Yeah. Um, it didn't really about about me. Right. Cause this is a very, I would probably say in a way, a very greedy thing to do. Um, you know, I have, I, I'm, I have two very, very fulfilling, um, careers. I'm very happy with both. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure so, it's not. I'm sure it's not greedy. Uh, you're, you know, you you have to take care of yourself, and you clearly sound like you're very still devoted to your family, Maria. And I guess the next time we do a program on, let's say, changing careers uh, in your fifties, or uh, or yeah. you know, the impact a PhD has on uh, advancement, you can call us again. <laughs> Ian, I listen to you every weekend, so when that subject comes up, I will definitely call in. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Maria. Thanks, Ian. Why are you working a second job? Are you happy with your side hustle or is it stressing you out? Our number here on Cross Country Checkup is 1-888-416-8333 or you can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck and either log a comment or say, I would like to be on the show. We are live here from CBC Studio 10 in Vancouver. Jules Robichaud is uh, on the line from Quebec City. Hi, Jules. 
How you doing, bud? I'm doing well. Three jobs, eh, Jules? Why? Uh, we can't make ends meet. Yeah. I got my full job at a, at a metal plant, and uh, I do uh, I do basically um, just basic um, cleanup work at Tim Hortons at, at, on weekends, and I got a job, another job at three nights a week. Well, not three nights, just three afternoons doing uh, basic cleanup work at a, at a um, medical center. Mm-hmm. And and so and no choice. I how, really have no choice. Yeah, things were just not adding up. And, My and full-time job. What yeah. impact does it have on on you on your on your mental health on your physical health? Uh, it's it's getting it's getting to the point where uh, you're really feeling it. Uh, you got no time. Your whole time is just basically seven days a week. It's uh, it's, it's not stressful. It's just that. Uh, it piles up onto, you know, you just don't have any time to recuperate, to get rest up. But uh, I've been thinking about just until Christmas and maybe after Christmas, maybe let one go. But uh, I'll be definitely doing do two jobs, that's for sure. And for people who are listening, who maybe are thinking about getting a second or even a third job to help pay the bills, what advice do you have for them? It's that easy. It's something that you're going to have to uh, think about, but uh, if you're going to do it, it's it's not easy. Um, a second job is it all depends on how many hours you do on the week. My first job is it gives me 45 hours a week. Um, you know, you got to be ready to do it, um, and uh, it all depends on on how you feel and how your health is too. Eh? Mm-hmm. And and does your boss at the metal factory know that you have these other jobs? How do they feel about this? Oh yeah, they know. They know as long as it doesn't really affect my. Uh, they can't really do anything about it because it doesn't affect my day job. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, but I'm not the only one. I, I I also know two others at the at the at the plant who are doing part time jobs too. One is doing a uh, um, a little variety store, shell uh, selling gas. Uh, here in uh, in Quebec City, so I'm not the only one. Yeah. But uh, the reason, the real reason that people are doing this is because they just can't make ends meet. Yeah, I hear you, Jules. Thank you very much for calling in. No, yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Well, speaking about what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do as an employee who's uh, working more than one job, let's uh, connect with Camille Dunbar, who's an employment lawyer with Castles, Brock and Blackwell. She's worked with both employees and employers, though she works primarily on the employer side now, and she is in Toronto. Camille, hi. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, thanks for being on the program. And so from a legal perspective, uh, if somebody wants to work uh, a second job? What are the things they need to, to keep in mind? Well, you know, your last caller, Jules, actually hit it on the head there. Um, as long as what you're doing doesn't impact your current job or the day job, there really are no laws in place in terms of enacted legislation that prevents or precludes an employee from working for multiple employers. So it's really just a matter of what the arrangement is between the employee and, let's say, the first or the primary employer in terms of the contract, expectations from the existing employer, those are the things that will govern whether or not an employee either should um, or would be in breach of, let's say, a contract for working for a second or third employer. Yeah, so there might be situations, as you suggest there, that just in the contract that an employer has with their employee, it prohibits a second job or the collective agreement uh, might prohibit it. But barring that, uh, a worker has, would you call it, basically a right to do with their spare time what they want to do. 
That's right. Absolutely. Um, as long as it works for them in terms of a personal uh, level, mental health wise mm-hmm. and so on. Yep. They're free to do whatever they want. Uh, Camille, let me play a clip uh, for you and our audience from Jake Farron. He's a YouTuber who used to work full-time in the technology space. He posted a video on his channel last year about (laughs) how he ended up working two full-time jobs at once. So last year I went out and I started interviewing with other companies, hoping to get a little pay increase. I'd been at my company for a long time. It had been like five years. And in the tech industry, that's a long time. So at this point, as I'm interviewing with other companies, the idea of working two jobs at the same time had not even entered my mind. So I got an offer from from one of these companies. And as I was like trying to figure out how I'm going to break the news to my current company that I was going to be leaving, I had the idea of like, wait a second, what if I just don't tell them? Like I'm fully remote. I just work from home. I'm not that busy. And I'm at a point in my life where I want to make more money. I want to be busier. So that's what I did. I just didn't say anything. Jake goes on to talk about how he eventually got caught by one of his employers. The twist in the story is that neither of his employers seemed to mind. Uh, Camille, what does the law say about trying to do this? Uh, You know, so this idea of two full-time jobs more or less at once. Go through some of the legal issues for us. Absolutely. So no legal... um ramifications in terms of any laws preventing Jake from doing something like this. Um, It really comes down to whether or not one or two or or all of the employers have an issue. So the primary employer, let's say the first employer um, that had hired Jake, if they don't mind that he's working somewhere else, that's all good. The issue that he might run into is when he's working that second or third job, if one of the employers finds that either he is billing them for time that he ought to be spending on their work, um, and he is in fact working for another employer, that could become an issue. So if the employer wants to escalate that, and for example, if they didn't appreciate what Jake was doing, found his dishonesty to be unbecoming um, or incompatible with the employment relationship, they could terminate Jake. That could cause him to be terminated without any package or severance pay, let's say, uh, because the employer could take the position that he was terminated for cause. So if there isn't anything written, for example, in his employment agreement stopping him from doing this, it could be a situation where the first employer feels as though he was working for someone else while he ought to have been working for them or claimed he was working for the first employer. That could be considered something like time theft, for example. Uh, and time theft is, is just as egregious as real theft in terms of theft of physical or tangible property. So it, it's all well and good if all of the employers are on board um, to avoid having those issues and figuring it out after the fact. Um, someone in Jake's position might consider letting both of the employers know that this is what they intend to do. And that might even open up another conversation about perhaps increasing compensation, getting overtime hours, other ways to make more money at one job if it's really just a matter of making more money at the end of the day. Camille, I don't know if you've seen these kinds of situations in your practice. I feel like you probably have. But on the (laughs) one hand, workers at home would feel like, hey, you know what, I can kind of manage my time. I can get away with stuff because I'm at home and, you know, nobody's Mm -hmm. peering over my shoulder. But with the technology now, people are peering over your shoulder, right? They can tell what documents you're in. Uh, There are lots of ways for somebody, a boss remotely, to kind of potentially know if uh, if that employee is uh, stealing time, as you said. 
Absolutely, Ian. Bang on. And interestingly enough, um, there is legislation, at least in Ontario, that governs electronic monitoring. So an employee who's working, let's say, for multiple employers um, or just using technology at home or even in the workplace, they do have a right to know what the employer is doing in terms of tracking them and the purposes for which they're collecting that information. So the good news in Ontario for employees is they'll have a heads up as to whether or not they are being monitored electronically. Um, so then they can choose how to govern themselves accordingly. Uh, but that isn't across the board across provinces here in Canada. So if the employee is here in Ontario and knows their employer is watching, they might want to consider whether or not they're using their employer's equipment um, or, like I said, uh, using their employer's time to be doing work for others. Um, but once they get over that hurdle and if everybody's OK with it, well, they're free to do whatever they choose. <laughs> uh, Camille, uh, one last question for you. Uh, you may have heard the story of an education assistant here in British Columbia. She was posting photos and videos on an OnlyFans page to make a little extra money. So that's a website known for uh, custom pornography. She refused to take the page down. She was fired. Uh, one of the arguments was that her second job, this is from her employer, the argument was, her second job affected her integrity in her primary Role. So generally speaking, uh, let's talk about those issues where uh, a, a second job, like w what would you advise an employee um, if there's some concerns about whether what they're doing in their second job might affect their integrity? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, a lot of that's contextual. So depending on the type of role that you have, your reputation or something you're doing in your side hustle, um, as we're coining it here today, uh, could reflect poorly, not just on the employee themselves, but on the company more broadly. So when we're talking about employees, for example, that either have some sort of visibility for the company, or they are part of the face of the company, management, upper levels of management as well, um, once you start getting into those roles, it becomes much easier for the employer to make the pitch that something that an employee is doing in their private life is impacting the business. Uh, there are also policies, for example, in certain workplaces that could prohibit that kind of conduct um, that could be termed a whole bunch of different things from, you know, conduct unbecoming, um, conduct that's going to impact the reputation of the company or the employee. Um, and all of those things could be prohibited in multiple places, whether it's in the agreement, collective agreement or policies. Um, and the employee would be offside many of those things if they're doing something that is questionable. To avoid some of that, the best things to do, like I said, be upfront. Um, so when in doubt, ask, run it by the existing employer. And then that way, if everybody signs off from the get-go, it will avoid some of the problems down the road. Yeah. And that's not just a second job issue. That could be a club that you belong to or, right. you know, it could be all kinds. Of, it's, it's about activities outside of work that may have a, I guess, reputational impact on you and, and your uh, regular job. Camille, really nice talking to you. My pleasure, Ian. Thanks for having me. Camille Dunbar, an employment lawyer with Castles Brock Blackwell. She is in Toronto. Coming up, we'll hear from the author of a new book called Side Hustle Safety Net. She interviewed nearly 200 gig workers during the pandemic. Our question today on Cross Country Checkup, why are you working a second job? Are you happy with your side hustle or is it stressing you out? Our number here is 1-888-416-8333. Our text number is 226 758 uh, 8924. Let's take a look at uh, some of the reaction we're getting online on AirCheck. Laurel Jackson from Calgary writes, I had to work multiple jobs to pay the bills as a single parent. 
I did get help from family, including financial and childcare. Can't imagine how some are coping and making ends meet on minimum wages and no benefits in today's economy. My hard work paid off. I'm now close to retirement, even though I still have a mortgage. Susan Smith texted us from London, Ontario. My side hustle is volunteer work, and I do it for interest as it complements my day job very well. I work as a clinical dietitian, and I volunteer at my local food policy council. Nice way to stretch my brain and help uh, food security and local procurement strategies in my city. Catherine Shepard emailed us from Victoria. I'm a single senior in my 70s. I'm afraid to stop working. I work two part-time jobs. I have a small business on the side. I work 50 to 60 hours per week. I am tired, but I know I can't pay rent and survive here, uh, presumably if she didn't do that much work. Our next caller is in Ottawa, Ontario, uh, Sarah McCulley. Hi, Sarah. Hi, good to hear from you. Yeah, nice to, to have you call in. I, I'm looking at uh, at the notes I get from the producers here. It almost looks like a typo, but I feel it's right. Uh, the note says you're currently working five jobs as a clinical psychologist. <laughs> yes. Um, I should clarify, though, that my situation is not typical. I've been really, really privileged in my life, in, especially in being able to stay in school so long that I got my PhD. Mm-hmm. And because I put so much work into it and because I grew up on a farm, too, and was always busy... I was really making sure that I, I actually gave back and doing clinical psychology was something I was passionate about. Um, fast forward seven years working in St. John's, Newfoundland, though, and I discovered that I was quite burned out. And unfortunately, um, working with a lot of kids with a lot of trauma and you know fairly limited resources, depending on populations I was working with, I found that I really needed to be doing something else just to kind of give me a buffer to, uh, you know, have something else to go to that made me happy, made me feel fulfilled. And also, you know, there's that saying, a change is as good as a break. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case for people that are working, you know, beyond their capacity. But for me, it just happened to be my personality that I love teaching university. I love selling jam at the farmer's market and making jam at home was something I could do looking after the kids, but also multitasking a million things. And even, you know, having a radio show and occasionally showing up, you might see my elbow on Republic of Doyle a few times, Hmm. stuff like that. It was just a lot of, a lot of fun for me. So I was privileged in being able to do all these things. Yeah. So, so one of your jobs then is making jam and selling it? (laughs) I should clarify, that's what I used to do when I was living in St. John. All right. So when I moved to Ottawa, um, this is all part of my, my burnout from a psychology gig, unfortunately. I went back to art school. It was my own personal sabbatical to myself, and I became a blacksmith. So now that I'm in Ottawa, I work two psychology jobs part-time, one being um, mostly psychoeducational assessment and psychotherapy, and the other is a contracts job where I go up north to remote uh, communities. It's not something I could do full-time. It would just be really exhausting and probably cause me to burn out again. But again, something I'm passionate about. And then in the meantime, I can do two days a week selling blacksmith, metalsmith goods at the farmer's market. Um, I teach online now instead of you know, face-to-face. Uh, so again, doing the university gig. And uh, and actually, I do goldsmithing three days a week, too, just because it's something I really, really wanted to learn. Yeah. So I was able to make it work really well for me. But I should clarify that this is not most people's experience at all. Yeah, and, and you know, the thing is, some of those things you're doing, um, other people might do them as a hobby and exactly. get and, and get from that hobby what you're getting from some of those jobs. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's always uh, tricky for me to do this live on the radio to betray perhaps my lack of knowledge on something. But I think you said blacksmith. And when I think blacksmith, yes. I think somebody like who's a 
farrier, right? Who 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 shoe <laughs> who shoes horses? Is that what you do? So that's actually a one specific area that people mm-hmm. can go into. So it's not what I do. I mm-hmm. do artist blacksmithing, okay. and it just happens there's two colleges in all of Canada that you can do an artist blacksmithing program. And I did mine because I grew up on a farm, and I'd see the farrier come out in his jeep with his cool little, um, you know, anvil and forge that he'd pull out of the back mm-hmm. and do the horses. And because um, I grew up fairly traditionally, I wanted to try something different. When I started doing some goldsmithing at this art school, I saw what the blacksmiths were doing. I got really into it. So I, why not? There's something very, very therapeutic about hammering hot metal and you know, smashing things. So. Yeah. Well, you know, when I was a kid in, in Sackville, New Brunswick, there were basically mm-hmm. two paths from where school was and where my home was. Uh, one was through yeah. town. The other one was past uh, a blacksmith's. And uh, I remember when we were like really young, it was fascinating. Would All the kids after school would crowd around the, the building where the farrier was working. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, it was. But the difference between you and me is it never occurred to me later on in life to uh, pursue some of those skills. So that's really interesting. We have to take our <laughs> break at the top of the hour in a second, uh, Sarah, but but let me ask you this. This is another number that's in front of me on the computer that almost looks like it can't be true, um, although I'm beginning to understand kind of how you balance things. But it says you work over 100 hours a week. So that's <laughs> like, what is it? Is that 14 so that hours a day? Dream situation. Yeah? Yeah. So that, that's actually not the common. I'm, I'm closer to 70 or 80 a week. Okay. 100 would be when I'm I'm on set doing some acting. Mm-hmm. And the reason I can say claim those hours is because I'm I'm sort of multitasking things. I don't count hours twice, but there's there's something really fun about doing different things. So say I'm on set, I'm waiting around, I'm in background, no one cares about me. I'm just, you know, I'm an elbow for a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives me a chance to be working on something with my hands. So that might be a time that I'm researching something, um, actually creating online content for the courses that I teach, researching, finishing up some notes on clients as long as I can keep it confidential, mm-hmm. and sometimes actually working on like some really small pieces of jewelry. So probably don't usually bring my blacksmithing stuff to set, but... <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? I, you're the clinical psychologist. I'm not, but I was going to say, if you're working 100 hours a week, that just does not sound like healthy and sustainable. But you're not, so uh, we're good. Exactly. It's once in a while, yeah. Th- thank yeah. you very much for calling in. Thanks. Uh, just before we take that break at the top of the hour, uh, let me take a look at a text we got from Daryl Baxter, who's in Joggins, Nova Scotia. I'm a long-haul truck driver. Basically work two full-time jobs, being allowed by law to work 70 hours a week with a portion of that unpaid. I've done this for 36 years now, and as of late, I've been considering taking something else on when I'm home. I know it seems odd, but when you work as much as I do, and when I go home and stop, I'm almost lost. I suppose it's like an addiction that you just can't stop. And again, you know, it reminds me of people who have hobbies and they just have to go in there and make furniture or work on that model train or whatever else. It's all complicated. Um, We're going to say goodbye now to our TV viewers on CBC News Network as we continue today's show live on CBC Radio. Rosemary Barton Live is next on News Network. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer health topics in a smart and sometimes counterintuitive way you won't hear anywhere else. Like, what's the least amount of exercise I can do to get the benefits? Which psychedelics can improve my mental health? And how can I check for cancer if I don't have a family doctor? Top experts help me bring you what you need to know in plain language in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
This is Hour 2 of Cross Country Checkup. We are live on CBC Radio. I'm Ian Hanna-Mansing in Vancouver. We have roughly 30 minutes left on our main topic, and then we switch to Ask Me Anything. And we'll be talking about heat pumps in uh, at the bottom of the hour. You may have been hearing a lot about them in the news over the last couple of weeks or so. Uh, they've been central to the carbon tax debate that uh, has engulfed Ottawa again. If you're thinking of installing a heat pump in your home, or you just want to know, what are they exactly? I'm kind of in that uh, latter camp. Uh, we want to hear your questions. You can start calling now with your AMA calls, 1-888-416-8333. You can text us too. That number is 226-758-8924. And those numbers, as you probably know, also work on our main question of the week, which is, Second jobs, why are you working at one, if indeed you are? Are you happy with your side hustle, or is it stressing you out? Sutya Kumar is in Moncton, New Brunswick. Hi, hi Satya. Hi. Uh, sorry, I think I mispronounced your name the first time, but it is Satya. Um, you, work, you work two jobs, why is that? So, uh, I, I, I wanted to buy a house. Uh, that was my like, long-lasting dream, and finally I got it, but the interest rates are too high. Mm-hmm. And uh, to <clears throat> to pay the monthly payment, I had to work two jobs. I mean, though my me and my wife works both IT, and we're still not able to pay pay the EMI and uh, pay for our living. And <clears throat> due due to that, uh, I'm doing a second job, which is kind of stressing me out, uh, where I cannot spend enough time with my family or my son. Um, I mean. Uh, uh, like everything has been uh, like too too expensive, and uh, and being an uh, immigrant from India, mm-hmm. uh, if we want to visit our family once or twice a year, uh, I mean not <laughs> once or twice a year, but uh, once every two years, mm-hmm. it's, it's that that is also expensive. And if we want to buy a flight ticket, we have to borrow money instead of borrowing. Uh, if we could do a second job and save up some money just for that, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and all other things, everything got expensive. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, so Satya, your your main job, uh, I think you said IT. Is that what you said? And it's it, you basically work five days a week, eight a.m. to four p.m. Um, which you know, if only you could go home after after all of that, that would sounds like a pretty comfortable lifestyle. But but then you go and do your second job, what three nights a week? Three, it, it is three nights a week or four nights a week. That depends on their requirement. Wow. And it's also all night. Uh, and we cannot say no for that <laughs> because uh, where it's, when, they are, when, when we are required, we have to be there um, or else uh, <laughs> they, have, they have to lose the job. <laughs> and, and how many hours then do you work at that second job each day? Each day, 10 hours. So hang on a sec. So you're working 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. on your main job, and then you work 10 hours, three or four nights a week? Yeah. Wow. I mean, you must be exhausted. And and so what's that like? So, so I'm just trying to do the math. Let's say it takes you an hour to get to that second job, and so you get there at 5 p.m. or maybe it's 6 p.m., but let's say, say 5 p.m., and it's 10 hours, then you're working, what, to, you're working till 3 in the morning? Yes, yeah. I work till three in the morning and try to uh, get back home and uh, try to get some sleep and uh, wake up again early to drop my wife and my kid uh, at school and uh, uh, and our job. Luckily, I have I work from home and I try to uh, like I have a lunch, one hour lunch and I try to sleep in that one hour too. 
Oh my goodness. Um, and uh, so you mentioned it, it's takes away time that, that you would like to spend, that you should be spending with your child. Beyond that, what kind of impact is it having on, on your health? I mean, it's like it's a lot of stress. Like, uh, like I cannot sleep uh, in the same time every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I will be looking for a day off from the second job so that I can sleep whole 12 hours maybe. Like the day which I'm not working, I usually go to bed at 6 o'clock in the evening and wake up next day at 7 o'clock. How much longer do you think you're going to have to keep doing this? I mean, until the interest rate comes down <laughs> wow. and uh, the day mortgage rate comes down, <laughs> mortgage payment comes down. Yeah. Well, tough times. And and I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm sorry to hear uh, just how, how difficult, I just, just your schedule. I find it, uh, yeah, it's incredible, Satya. Um, but thank you very much for sharing the story. It's really uh, interesting to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Our next guest has been studying the rise of gig work, a term you're probably familiar with. If you're not, it just basically means finding little gigs here and there. It could be driving uh, for Uber or for yourself, but I guess through Uber. Um, there are lots of different ways that you could be doing gig work. Alexandra J. Ravenel is the author of a new book called Side Hustle Safety Net, How Vulnerable Workers Survive Precarious Times. She's also an assistant professor of sociology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and we reached her in New York City. Hi, Alexandria. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, so you interviewed, it was 199 gig workers during the pandemic uh, for this book. How did they describe their day-to-day working life? Oh, gosh. Well, so those that were lucky enough to get unemployment during the pandemic, they were able to rest and reset and relax. And then those who did not qualify for unemployment assistance, uh, what we call the forgotten jobless, those workers end up spending their time doing poly employment, uh, trying to take as many gigs as they can, doing food delivery, uh, doing grocery shopping for people, trying to piece together work on Craigslist. So tell me a little bit more about, uh, first of all, did you invent the term poly employment or was that uh, kicking around before? No, that is my term. Uh, poly employment, it actually uh, was inspired by a worker who told me about being polyamorous. Right. Um, and poly employment is simply working multiple jobs. I can just imagine all the academic conferences where the title of your talk is, she talks about poly life and then people come in and five minutes later they go, oh, oh, she's talking about employment. <laughs> we were not expecting this. Um, give us a, a picture of what poly employment looks like based on your research. Sure. So poly employment can mean a couple of different things. Um, It can mean somebody who has a full-time job, but then has a part-time job on the side, sort of a side hustle. It can also be somebody who's piecing together multiple jobs um, that are all gig work. So doing the TaskRabbit, the Uber, the DoorDash. But sometimes it can also mean workers who are part of the creative freelancers, individuals who are doing uh, both part-time work that's maybe uh, classified as an employee, and then also doing part-time work that is 1099. And their tax situation and their hours end up being really complicated as a result. So from a Canadian perspective, I think there's something there you made reference to we may not know about. Did you say 1099? Yes. So in the U.S., uh, we call independent contractors 1099 workers, and that's just based on the tax form they get at the end of Mm -hmm. the year. Fair enough. Uh, We are here live with Alexandria J. Ravenel, uh, author of Side Hustle Safety Net, How Vulnerable Workers Survive Precarious Times. Our question today, why are you working a second job? Are you happy with your side hustle or is it stressing you out? Our number is 1-888-416-8333. Alexandria, you've found that businesses are using what you call shadow gig work 
platforms to hire people. What's that? So we usually think about gig work as Uber, right? Mm -hmm. uh, something that's marketed to consumers directly. But these shadow gig platforms are actually platforms that focus on B2B, business to business. And so they, um, they are jobs that previously would have been employee jobs. So delivering flowers for your local florist shop might end up on roadie as a 1099 job. Um, doing uh, restaurant work, uh, you know, working in the kitchen might actually show up on Paired, which is another gig work platform. And so we take these jobs that oftentimes people don't realize your server might be a W-2 employee or they might actually end up being an independent contractor. Um, and, you know, they're being paid less as a result. They have no benefits, no protections. Um, it really is sort of contributing to this rise of polyemployment um, and also to people working without workplace protections. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, some of the references you're making there are U.S. references because you are a professor in the United States, but absolutely here in Canada, we can follow along with the general theme. And Alexandria, before I let you go, I want to bring in our next caller because there's a bit of a connection between her situation and your area of expertise. So please stand by. I'm going to come back to you. Uh, let's go to that call now. Uh, Renee Beckett is in Oakville, Ontario. Hi, Renee. How's it going, Ian? Good, good. <laughs> well, while we have uh, Professor Ravenel on the line, uh, tell us what your uh, work situation is, Renee. Okay, so I do work full-time with a major financial institution in Canada. We can't really mention their names okay. in the media, but, All right. you know, they're, yeah. they are wonderful. Uh, mm -hmm. But my full-time uh, job um, is not enough, you know? Uh, my background is uh, single parent, but not by choice. So it's not like I planned for it. Mm -hmm. I waited 15 years for the right guy. <laughs> he was perfect <laughs> on paper. Mm. And then after we got married, we, we had two kids. He decided, oh, no, I lost my company. Ta -ta -ta. Long story short, he abandoned us. My son was uh, 10 days old. Can you imagine? Uh, no, I can't. It's tough. Mm -hmm. But my father was still alive. My mom, who was my best friend, had passed away before all this. Um, he he basically helped me and my and my kids, and that was fine. Mm -hmm. But he passed away five years ago. Uh, you know, God rest their souls. Uh, but basically, now I have to do DoorDash, and and it's not to like save for something. It's just to survive. I swear to you, Ian. Mm -hmm. Like my, my full-time job will pay maybe for rent and uh, like, you know, car insurance, a couple of bills, that's it. Mm -hmm. So I deliver groceries <laughs> to people so that I can buy my own groceries, you yeah. know, for, yeah. for the kids. Um, so, let's yeah. uh, so sorry, you yeah no no I'm sorry to interrupt you because I do want to come back to you for sure Renee and I I do so appreciate your call but I want to bring back Alexandria uh, J Ravenel into the call and uh, she is a sociologist not a psychotherapist not a lawyer but uh, she certainly studied the gig economy and uh, and poly employment uh, a term that she invented that I'm going to work into many conversations over the next few days um, but Alexandria any comments questions or just reflections on Renee's situation? situation? You know, Renee's situation uh, is heartbreaking, but in many ways, it's not unique. You know, in Canada, the official statistics Canada say it's about 5% of workers are engaged in poly employment. 
But there's other research coming out, like the Canadian Quality of Work and Economic Life Survey, saying that it's actually closer to about 19% of workers mm. doing these multiple jobs. And, you know, Renee's reasons are very much on par with many of the reasons why gig workers turn to this work. It's flexible. It's a way to get additional money. Um, but there are a lot of costs uh, that are, are part of this, right? Mm. The wear and tear on your car, time away from family, uh, and just the exhaustion of constantly working like your last guest. Yeah. And uh, as I said, Renee, please stay on the line because I'm coming back to you. But uh, I have one last question for Alexandria. Um, If you were giving advice based on your research and your experience to policymakers in Canada, what do you feel they should understand about uh, the prevalence of gig work? You know, the, the old idea of one worker, one job is really outdated. We have moved very much beyond that. And the only way to get back to that, and I think we should get back to this idea of one worker, one job, would be to mandate higher wages, mandate more workplace protections, mandate that there's a higher level of unemployment so that workers don't end up turning to gig work as a way to supplement salaries or as a version of unemployment light. You know, we, we used to have workers working one job. We can go back to that and we can make it so that people can support their families and themselves on this. But it's going to take policy changes. Alexandria, thank you very much for connecting with us. Thanks so much for having me. Alexandria J. Ravenel, author of a new book called Side Hustle Safety Net, How Vulnerable Workers Survive Precarious Times. She's also an assistant professor of sociology at UNC Chapel Hill. And a reminder, our AMA now, just about 20 minutes away on heat pumps. If carbon taxes have you a little worried this winter and you're thinking about switching to a heat pump, you can call in with your AMA questions now. You can do that at one 888 416-8333 or text us at 226-758-8924. The text number 226-758-8924. Renee, are you still on the line? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful uh, uh, information you have. Thanks mm-hmm. for doing the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, thank you for calling in. And, and so you were explaining to our audience just a few minutes ago that you work at a, an unnamed but well-known financial institution. It is a full-time job. You are a single parent, not by choice, as you said. And, uh, and now you're working at DoorDash. As you put it very poetically, you deliver other people's groceries so you can afford yours. Uh, Renee, I'm, 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 curious, yeah. I'm curious about just your, your, your work schedule. So, so what kind of yep. hours, like let's say on a a typical day, if there's any such thing in your life as a typical day, what hours are you at your main job? And then when do you do the DoorDash deliveries? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the main job is it. My my manager is aware that I have to do an extra, uh, you know, the DoorDash thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she even suggested it. <laughs> at some point, I was telling her, how do I make it? She was like, maybe think about a second job. I'm like, I have one. Wow. <laughs> Let me tell you. But, you know. Uh, so it's typical Monday to Friday, nine to five, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, pile on, like I have to be up at six to make sure that, you know, everything needs to be done. And then I have to cook after that. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll try to find, you know, a few hours on Saturdays or Thursday, Friday evening, something like that, where it's a little busier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people are ordering stuff and that kind of thing. But uh, it's, uh, you know, the, the it's it's not easy. No. You're tired all the time. Mm-hmm. And the saddest thing right now, I'm going to tell you my age. Don't tell anybody. Okay. <laughs> I'm 52, but J-Lo is a year older. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you know, because we're out all the time, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's cold mm-hmm. now. Recently, and it, and, it, and it's 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 hit me uh, unexpectedly and suddenly. I have pain, so I I go to my doctor. We do some lab tests. And apparently I have rheumatoid arthritis. At mm. 52, I yeah. wasn't expecting that before 20 years, if, if, if ever. Yeah. Um, so it's hard. It is. Yeah, it sounds hard. Uh, Renee, uh, it's always... I'm always hesitant to ask questions about money, and I'm not. And, and you, you decide. You're the boss of what you want to say. But I, I'm just curious, like w- when you decide to go out, let's say on a Thursday night, and do a shift for DoorDash. And so I, I, I don't know a lot about it, but I assume what happens is you open up your phone or your computer and say, "Okay, I'm now available to pick up uh, orders uh, for DoorDash." And you you decide yep. how many hours you want to work. I mean, do you have a goal in mind about how much? you want to make on a particular evening before you shut things down and head home? Uh, honestly, no. I just try to see, hey, if I make like uh, 100 or 150 for the full week, mm-hmm. it's okay. It's, huh. it's gonna, I'm going to be able to, to get what we need for food or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But like, for example, today, it's my son's birthday. He's turning 14. He's like, I, I'd like a trumpet, please. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, uh, I love you, honey, but c- could you master the guitar first? <laughs> Can we save up for that one? He gave me a sad look. So I said, okay, I'll I'll, t- I'll try to work a little extra. So I'm mm-hmm. actually d- dashing now, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it, sometimes you want to put in a few more hours just to see if you if you can get save up for something extra that normally. Uh, the sad thing about all this is I wish I was saving up for a house mm-hmm. or, you know, something more, you know. I, I try my best to save for their college, but it's not easy at all. Yeah. You Renee. Know, like savings are almost non-existent. Well, I hope the savings towards the trumpet goes well. And Renee, it's been <laughs> really, you. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thanks for calling. Oh, thank you so much. You're the best. And I love your show. I'm always listening. Fantastic. I appreciate that. This is Cross Country Checkup. We're live from CBC Vancouver. I'm Ian Hanamansing, and we're about to start, when I say about to, we're about 12 minutes away from our AMA about heat pumps. We have an expert coming in who really can answer all kinds of questions about how they work, um, how much they cost, what temperatures they're optimal in, and, uh, and any other questions you have about heat pumps. So that's coming up on our AMA, and you can use that number that we have for our show for the AMA, one 416 You can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck or text us at 758-8924. Um, speaking of aircheck, Jane Ansara uh, reached us uh, from Caledon, Ontario via aircheck. She says, I'm an e-business analyst with more than 20 years experience and have been working remotely for most of that time. I'm contracting to multiple clients right now as there's so much demand for experienced resources. I love what I do and enjoy adding value to key organizations, both in the US and Europe. I'm really proud of my achievements and I am well compensated. I have to retire at some point, but can't walk away from this right now. Tracy Gurney also uh, contacted us via aircheck. She's in Powell River, British Columbia. I've been working two jobs for many years. It started out as trying to make ends meet, but now in the last year has morphed into allowing me to do extras like home repairs. The primary job pays the bills. The secondary pays for fun. My secondary job business will also be my retirement supplement so that I can at least semi-retire. 
You can also phone us to get on Cross Country Checkup at 1-888-416-8333. And that's what Paul Stewart has done. He's in Red Deer. Hi, Paul. Hello. You work two jobs, I see. Tell me about that. Okay. Well, I did. I just retired, but basically I'm a, a, a teacher or administrator for a school district in Red Deer. Mm-hmm. And oh, about 20 years ago, one of my co-workers, he brought City University master's program to Red Deer. And since I did my master's and doctorate, having to drive to Calgary and Edmonton on a Friday and spend the weekend, having a master's program available in Red Deer for future leaders sounded pretty good. So I signed up as an instructor. And so for about 15 years, I taught with City U and we would do it every second weekend, Friday nights and Saturdays for people from central Alberta. And so what was your primary motivation for taking on that second job? Well, my daughters had headed away from university. It gave me something to do, but also um, it helped me continue with learning because I'm teaching leadership stuff. And so that was sort of like professional development. And then the students would write papers and ask questions and then I'd go, hey, good question, or I like that, or I could answer, or I'd give them a question and they would answer it. So it helped me continue with my learning and then also know who were good leadership candidates to enter into leadership in my district and the districts around. So it sounds like uh, money wasn't the motivation and it wasn't a hardship. You, I mean, am I right? You, you almost, it sounds like you, you enjoyed your second job. I, I did. It was really nice. And so I stayed with it for many years, and then I I left that. And then for about four or five years, I taught online for University of Calgary Master's Leadership Program, Mm -hmm. and which was different because that was one night a week for three hours, and you sat in front of the computer. And the nice thing about both of them is I could answer emails whenever, and I could fit it into my spare time when I wanted to set up my lessons. Yeah, you're very lucky, and I'm glad that that was a rewarding experience for you, Paul. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Corinne Paul is in Winnipeg, and she uh, reached out to us via AirCheck, and now she's on the phone. Hi, Corinne. Hi there. So what's your work situation? Well, I'm 60 years old, or I will be this year. Mm -hmm. Um, I work... I get a pension from my previous job I had at the hospital and because of the pandemic and stuff like that, I retired. Um, I did home care full time at first and then I became a school bus driver, Mm -hmm. but I still do home care part time. And so why the two jobs? Is Is money the motivation? Yeah, just to make ends meet. Yeah. And, and so... So give me a sense again, I know many people don't have a typical day, things are so different from day to day, but but what does a yes. day look like for you in terms of the hours for each of your jobs? Oh, so um, I get up about 5 a.m. I have uh, my granddaughter who is with me. Mm-hmm. She's 13, so she's able to stay on her own for at least a couple to a few hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I get things ready. I go to my school bus job between the morning route and the afternoon route. I do my home care and then I'm home by four 30. And then in the evening she does horseback riding lessons. So then I take her to horseback riding. 
Sounds hard. It is. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is, I guess, what your plan is going to be uh, for now, or do you see kind of an end point? Um, do I see an end point? <laughs> Not really, no. Mm-hmm. It's just with rent, uh, car bills, um, you know, to put food on the table, put gas in my car, you know, to have any type of life, you, you need extra money because obviously, like with rent and everything, things are just too expensive. Mm-hmm. And I'm on my own. I don't have any help. And for anybody who's listening, who's wondering about taking on a second job uh, because they need to, what, what advice do you, do you have for them? I really, what would, something that you're good at, something that you like, I don't mind doing home care. I come from a medical background. Mm-hmm. I don't mind driving. Yeah. So it, 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 it helps. Yeah, that, that would help, Korean. Thank you very much for calling in. Yeah. Yep. Thank you're, you. You're listening to Cross Country Checkup. I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. I want to take one more call on our main topic because I'm getting word that we have so many calls for our AMA on heat pumps. So I want to make just a little bit extra time for that. Uh, if you have questions about heat pumps, you can call us at one 888-416-8333 or go to cbc.ca slash aircheck or text us 226-758-8924. But a final call on the stresses or sometimes how rewarding it is to have a second job. Jonathan Delaney is in Hamilton. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, how are you doing, Ian? Good. So you are uh, not uh, unusual, I suppose, for people in Hamilton. Your your full-time job is at, at the steel factory. And, and what's your what's your side hustle? So I do uh, home renovations. So mm-hmm. anything from minor stuff to like finish a basement or build a deck or fence. Uh, I could background in construction before my steel job. I've been here 12 years. So uh, before that, about 10 years in that. And then prior to that, the Air Force in the States. So mm. yeah, good uh resume there but i love construction i would do it full time um so i, I do get the, if i've realized when i don't do side jobs in construction i tend to have to relearn a couple of things when it's been a bit so i like to stay busy doing that hmm. but i i mean i feel like working at the steel factory is the kind of job that when you get finished a shift you you know you've worked hard you're tired and would be nice to put your feet up maybe and watch tv but then you go on to working on a house how, how but it sounds like you also enjoy that yeah, so uh, they're 12-hour shifts, and we alternate uh, between 6 to 6 morning time and 6 to 6 night time with a mm-hmm. couple days off in between. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I've gone where I've gotten off a night shift at 6 a.m. and then uh, went home, got my stuff together, and worked on a roof the next day on my day off. So, yeah, I, I've been doing uh, Air Force's 12-hour shifts, too, so you kind of have to be accustomed to it and get proper sleep. Mm-hmm. So uh, I do tend to get that proper sleep, but... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a joy. I love construction. It's just, I have a pension with the steel company and, um, you know, that's important and for financial stability, but yeah, it's, uh, 
I, I've I've done it now for over twenty years, uh, working side work. So yeah, well, you know, it 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 I can hear it just in your call, and we've heard it a couple of times before that if your side hustle is something you actually love, it's almost almost like it's a hobby. Although I'm sure you know there are lots of times where you you have to do it even if you don't want to, you know, finish your yeah. job. But it still sounds like it can be a little less stressful and maybe a little bit more rewarding when you have that situation. Jonathan, thank you very much for calling in. You're very welcome. You have an awesome night. I will, for sure. It's time for Ask Me Anything on heat pumps. Ask me anything! Heat pumps are a massive, clear solution to fighting climate change, but Atlantic Canadians in particular, many of them were unable to make that switch. What about all the other Canadians? He doesn't care about them. This is not about environmental science. It's about political science. The reason that it's so much more efficient is that even when it's cold outside, that cold air still has some heat in it. We've all been hearing a lot about heat pumps lately. They've been touted as a more eco-friendly way to heat and cool your home. But the transition has been at the centre of a lot of political controversy over the last few weeks. The Liberal government announcing at the end of October it was carving out an exemption for Atlantic Canadians using heating oil to warm their homes. Prime Minister Trudeau said at the time that the high price of oil was costing so much that people who wanted to upgrade to heat pumps couldn't afford to do that. Liberal government who already has rebate programs in place to make that transition. Are you thinking of buying a heat pump? If so, you are the kind of caller we are looking for today. For the next half hour, we're looking for questions on heat pumps, and we're joined by Warren Maybe. Um, he is a professor and uh, director of Queen's University's Institute for Energy and Environmental Policy. Warren is here live to take your calls and answer your questions. You can ask him anything. Call us at 1-888-416-8333, or you can also text us at 226-758-8924. Warren, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, I feel like I, I may have pronounced your last name. How do you pronounce it? It's maybe, maybe not, just okay. like it sounds. Yep. Okay. Well, I, I did get it right. That's great. Fantastic. <laughs> you got it right. Yep. Um, so we have so many calls already. I am not going to ask you a lot of questions before we get started. We'll go, we'll go to calls in just a moment. But, uh, but let me ask you about the announcement that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau made on October 26th. This was the Atlantic Canada exemption on the uh, carbon tax for home heating oil. Um, and the hope that that would encourage, we were told, people to switch over to heat pumps at some point. Do you see the, the, the policy, what the federal government did, as a step forward or backward for climate-friendly alternatives like heat pumps? Well, I have to think it's a step backwards. Um, I think we're going to talk about a lot of the programs that are available to get people uh, you know, set up with a heat pump to move away from heating oil. I think to give people an exemption, you know, it sounds great. And I do feel for people that are struggling to pay their heat bills. But uh, heating oil is really the dirtiest fuel that we're using to heat our homes across Canada. Uh, to carve out an exemption for that particular fuel is sort of saying, well, it's OK, you know, and, and we can accept this sort of political reason. And that really strikes at the whole rationale of the carbon tax. Why have a carbon tax uh, if we're going to make exemptions um, you know, just across the board. 
And what about programs that the government has to try to encourage people to pay for heat pumps? I guess, first of all, how much does it cost to put a heat pump in a house? So it, it really depends. And I know nobody <laughs> likes to hear that answer. Uh, you can buy a heat pump unit, like a mini split or something like that, for as little as you know $3,500. Uh, and you can have that installed for not very much money. So we can be talking about, you know, a couple thousand in installation costs, 3500 for a small mini split type of a heat pump. It's going to work for a small structure. Um, you know, cottages often use those types of heat pumps. But as you move up, you know, as you have a bigger home and you need bigger units, maybe you go from an air source heat pump to a ground source heat pump, the cost can really go up. Uh, you can be looking at something on the range of 35000 or 40000 all installed if you've got a big home and you're going to go with the ground sourced option. And then in terms of programs, government programs to uh, to help soften the blow, if you will, what what's out there? So there are quite a few policies or, or programs that are out there that will help people. Uh, the Canadian government has uh, roughly a $5,000 program that you can access uh, it does depend on how much you make, you know, and how much you qualify for. Most provinces will offer two or three thousand, one or two thousand um, as a sort of top up to that program. So it is possible to get back a big part of the cost of uh, putting a heat pump in. I will say that if you are somebody that has uh, a heating oil system, so a furnace that runs off heating oil, there's actually an expanded federal program that will give up to 15000 to support that kind of a transition. Uh, and that is something that will get you a long way towards uh, going right to a heat pump system. We are here live with Warren Maybe In a few minutes, I'm going to go to phone calls. In fact, maybe a couple of minutes. And uh, it's our Ask Me Anything on heat pumps. And our number is one 416 Warren, the, the question that I have before we go to calls um, is, you know, kind of complicated, but I'm sure you can give me a short answer. How do heat pumps work? So lots of people ask that question. Uh, the best description that I can come up with is it's a little bit like a refrigerator. A refrigerator basically uses uh, a pump to pump Freon or a refrigerant through coils. Uh, as it goes into the fridge, it pulls the heat out. And as it goes in behind the fridge uh, into those coils, uh, it releases that heat. And a heat pump basically does that. It transfers heat from one place to another. So if you're working with an air source heat pump, you're drawing heat from colder air and shifting it to where you want that heat uh, inside the house. And of course, they're reversible. So you can use them as air conditioners in the summer. Yeah, but that's the part I don't really understand. And uh, and you'll have to give me, if you can, like a, a short, simple explanation. But, uh, you know, with the refrigerator, that's really easy to understand. You have the Freon circulating through there. It's creating, if you will, the coldness that gets, you know, transferred to inside the refrigerator and the warm air transfers out. But but the Freon is the key thing there. Um, on, a, on a cold day, when it's minus five in Vancouver, outside my house, yeah. How, what does the heat pump do in terms of being able to take the air, that, that cold air from outside, you know, as a starting point and, and warm my house? It, it does sound a little bit like magic, but there is a little bit of heat in that air, mm -hmm. even if it is minus five out. Uh, and the heat pump can pull that little bit of, of energy out. And really the magic of the heat pump is that it can transfer that from outside where it's not really doing much 
to inside where it can really start to heat your house. So you're concentrating that heat, if you like, uh, into uh, the home. And, and you know, the initial heat pumps that we had didn't work really, really well, but over the years, they've become so efficient. Uh, they're so effective at pulling heat out. You can draw heat from down to minus 10, minus 15 degrees um, and still get some usable heat back inside the house. Incredible. Now, if you were pitching this on Dragon's Den and I was a dragon, I would say, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm not going to invest. But clearly it works. So there you go. I, uh, it works. Well, yeah. Uh, our number here on our Ask Me Anything on Cross Country Checkup is 1-888-416-8333. You can reach us also via cbc.ca slash aircheck or text us at 226 758 8924. It's our Ask Me Anything on heat pumps. And Allison Hollis is the first in a long line of callers. Hi, Allison. Hi there. What's your question for Warren? Maybe. Yeah, so I have a ground source heat pump. I've had it since 2009. Um, and I also use it to semi heat my hot water tank. But my question is I don't know how much the technology has improved from that time to know when I should consider maybe updating, like replacing the actual heat pump itself so that it's, you know, more efficient or I'm taking advantage of improvements in the technology. Warren? That's a really great question. And uh, I think a lot of people will be asking that. It it sounds like you were in those early adopters, you know, to take this technology on. Uh, Mm -hmm. The answer is it's roughly the same sort of uh, sequence that you would look at replacing a furnace. So, Roughly 15 to 20 years after you've installed a furnace system, you're going to be looking at uh, replacing it, upgrading it. And that's probably what you'll look at here. So uh, probably over the next five to 10 years, you'd be looking at your system uh, and considering an upgrade. And would it be that much more efficient? Like, would the technology have improved that much from, do you think? It certainly has improved. Uh, Now, ground source heat pumps are more effective in the deep cold than air source heat pumps. Right. And so you might not feel it as soon. Uh, oh. You know, you, you might not see as much of a difference as soon as somebody who owns an air source heat pump. Uh, the ground source heat pumps, the great thing about that is that you get that insulating factor of the ground, um, yep. which means, you know, you're drawing more heat uh, through the winter and, and more cool right. in the summer. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And and my I, I put mine in because my original furnace was like 25, more than 25 years old when I bought my house. So I was yeah. already told that I needed to replace it with something and I yeah. didn't have air conditioning. So, Allison, okay. you live in you live in Toronto, a city that can have extreme uh, differences between cold and hot. And so you had this heat pump since, well, you said over a decade. How yeah. has it how has it worked for you? It's great, actually. I find um, I find that it it uh, it's much more sensitive to changes in temperature in the house than when I had natural gas. Mm-hmm. So it may come on more frequently, but it keeps the temperature at a, a more steady state. I should also say, because of the age of my home, I insulated my house from the outside. Mm-hmm. So doing that also made a big benefit, obviously, because I'm not losing any of the heat that I have, you know, through the poor insulation of when the house was constructed. Mm-hmm. Allison, thank you very much for calling. Thank you. Thanks very much. Our next caller on this AMA about heat pumps is Paul Vogel, who's in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Hi, Paul. Hello. How are you? Good. What's your question for Warren Maybe. 
more we, we've bit bullet and we've installed heat pumps, uh, like some of the callers tonight. We have only had them uh, for a couple of months now, and we're still learning about them. We have uh, a split where there's a large heat pump on the main floor, and it's a bi-level house. And we have two smaller ones in the basement, but we're just wondering how to get the most out of the heat pumps. And I know we could contact the installer, but uh, is it better to leave them on all the time at a uh, set temperature? Is it better to turn them off at night, turn them back on in the morning, you know, let the house cool down and then and try and reheat in the morning? So we're we're just curious about that. So it, I think that your initial thought of contacting the installer is a good one. And I would always encourage people to talk to a really knowledgeable uh, local HVAC expert because they're going to know lots about what to do. Um, in your situation, it may have a little bit to do with how you use your home. If if the basement is not used regularly, if there are, are rooms down there that you're not in every day, uh, having the heat pumps cycle down you know, maybe not turn them off, but cycle them down and, and drop the temperature a bit can work. Um, you do have to think that if air is flowing from one part of the house to the other, uh, so if you're you're shutting down the basement heat pumps, but you still got your main floor system operational, and if it's now trying to heat the whole house, you can start to overtax the system. So right. it's a little bit like uh, you know, folks that used to shut off the registers in, in one room to save a little bit of heat, you want to make sure the doors are closed and that you're not uh, losing heat across the system because uh, your pumps have been sized to the size of the dwelling. And um, if you rely on one to do all the work of three, that that's going to uh, stress them. Sure. That's all right. advice. Thanks for the question, Paul, and thanks for the answer, Warren. Uh, this is our Ask Me Anything on Cross Country Checkup. The topic is heat pumps. Our phone number is 1-888-416-8333. Our text number is 226-758-8924. You can also log a question at cbc.ca slash aircheck. Uh, Yuli Belisle has called us from Geraldton, Ontario. Hi, Yuli. Hi, how are you doing today, Ian? Yeah, I'm doing really well. What's your question for Warren Maybe What is, what would be the efficiency of a heat pump in Geraldton? It's a really good question, um, and it has a little bit to do with uh, how it's being installed, where it's being installed. So uh, if your home is well insulated, you know, and uh, you don't have issues with uh, drafts and, and leaks, around the building. A heat pump can work really efficiently and a modern system will work uh, well into the, the negative teens. So down to about minus 15, I think you can be comfortable. There are some units that will even go below that. So it will work really efficiently, but it is really important to think about your, your home. And we heard that from an earlier caller. Um, insulation is really critical with these systems. Uh, if the system is forced to work all the time, if it's a really leaky house, it's the same problem you run into with uh, natural gas or with other heating options. The systems will run all the time and they won't seem as efficient. I understand that completely. But in our area, the uh, average temperature in the wintertime, you're talking about minus 25 to 30. 
Yeah. So what would typically be advised in a, a northern community is a backup heat source, uh, whether that is a furnace that already exists. So you might have a propane or a natural gas furnace. I don't know your exact setup. Uh, you might keep that and add the heat pump so that the heat pump would operate um, a little bit like a helper during the coolest parts of the winter, but it would take over duties when the temperature starts to come back up. Um, as I said earlier, we're starting to see heat pumps that work better and better at colder temperatures, uh, but I, I've been to Geraldton, I, I know how cold it gets, and uh, I think you're going to need a backup heat source uh, to keep that system running. I, I haven't been to Geraldton, but I see that it's uh, just north of Lake Superior. We hear uh, from uh, Yuli how cold it can get there. Yuli, what, what's, the, what's the conversation either you've had or you've heard in your town when it comes to heat pumps? Oh, I, I've heard of them. I have friends down <laughs> east uh, in Ontario uh, that actually install them. Uh, with our temperatures up here, mm -hmm. it, it's not uncommon to get uh, minus 35, minus 40. We've had as cold as minus 50. Wow. So. Yeah, well, as you heard from Warren, uh, you would need to have some sort of uh, backup or alternate uh, uh, heat supply for when it gets down past, I guess, what, minus 20, minus 25, certainly minus 50. So uh, something to keep in mind. Yuli, thank you very much for calling. Well, thank you very much. And the Warren I mentioned is our guest, Warren Maybe, Director of Queen's Institute for Energy and Environmental Policy at Queen's University. And he is here to answer questions. And as you have, are hearing, there are a lot of questions when it comes to heat pumps. David Sutherland is in Muscadabit Valley, Nova Scotia. Hi, David. Hello. What's your question for Warren Maybe? Uh, okay, so in Nova Scotia particularly, we have a, I have a heat pump, by the way, uh, I've had it since 2017. I love it. Uh, little Mitsubishi split. We have a 1,400 square foot house. I have a pellet stove as backup because when it hits minus 25 here, it doesn't work. The biggest issue here is going to be the grid. And if everybody here, because the Nova Scotia government and the federal government is pushing us to go off oil and whatever, <coughs> I have a friend who's an electrical engineer connected to the grid. It says it's not going to, we, our grid will not support all heat pumps and also the EV vehicles. So that is my comment on this situation. I love it, but the reality is, is if everybody of all my neighbors that have oil furnaces all switched over tomorrow, uh, our, our grid would be very unstable. Yeah. Warren, is that something you've looked into? Absolutely, and and the caller is exactly right. Uh, if everybody did switch over to heat pumps overnight, so if we saw massive investment overnight and we saw a whole lot of new electric vehicles plugged in overnight, uh, we would be in a situation where the grids would be overwhelmed, where we would have deep trouble meeting that demand. Now, that's not been our experience. Uh, we have seen you know, a steady move towards adopting heat pumps in different parts of the country. Um, as that demand for heat pumps has grown, the electrical grids have been able to respond. 
And I think this is part of a transition. You know, we're we're looking at this transition to 2030 and then to 2050. Uh, part of the responsibility on the sides of governments and utilities is to build the capacity so that we can make these systems work. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Warren, I, I can see on the camera, occasionally you've been clearing your throat, so we're going to turn your mic off. You can clear your throat for a second. I have a follow-up question for David Sutherland, who's in Muscadabit Valley, Nova Scotia. David, are you still there? Yeah. Yeah. So um, my question is actually sort of different from, from the question you had for Warren, and, and it's this. Um, so you, you've had your heat pump for six or seven years. You like it. You talked about minus 25. So t- tell me what your experience has been. Is that kind of the, the point at which you have to use an alternate heat source down to minus 25? The heat pump has worked for you? Well, in, in actual fact, in reality, if you even go and look at your insurance uh, company, mm-hmm. you need an alternate supply. You can't have one one uh, solution. Right. So, uh, you know, the power goes out for 24 hours. I have a pellet stove, and that generates enough heat to keep it warm. I can uh, have a generator. I have all that as a backup. Um, at, at minus 25, it still keeps the house reasonably as you're not freezing that there's going to be, there's not going to be pipes freezing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, you know, you put a sweater on, it's like the old days. I grew up in this house. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm 64 years old. So mm-hmm. I know, uh, you just, you just learn to live with the adjust with the, the climate. But, uh, but as I said, if everybody turns one on, yep. uh, are those power outages, they're going to be regular on and, and ongoing. Yeah, I guess the key is, as, as Warren pointed out, the, the hope is that, you know, or the reality is not everybody's switching over, whether it's uh, EVs or, or heat pumps, not everybody's switching over all at once. But David, you, you, your, your points are good, and, uh, and it's really nice to hear from you. Thank you very I much. Want, I want to say one last thing. Sure. In Nova Scotia, we're still generating coal-fired plants. Mm-hmm. So the idea of green energy coming out of a heat pump or an EV vehicle at this point, right now, at this point in our in our world, is doesn't make it a green scenario. Yeah, well, source of the electricity is 100% one of the things that needs to be factored as people rely more and more on electricity and batteries and that sort of thing. We're lucky in British Columbia, you know, we have uh, hydro power. Um, so, you know, that, that helps the equation a lot. But you're right, people need to figure out where their electricity is coming and governments need to figure out uh, what the future of electrical generation is going to be in their province. Thank you very much for the call. Thank you for taking it. Yeah, let's bring uh, Warren Maybe back into this, director of Queen's University's Institute for Energy and Environmental Policy. And Warren, what about the electrical demands of a heat pump? Is, again, not something I know a lot about. Um, so again, it has a lot to do with the size of your system and uh, the temperature that you're setting your house to. If you're somebody who turns the temperature down, uh, demand's not going to be as high as if you're somebody who likes your house a nice toasty 22 or 23 degrees. Um, but what you will find is that the demand on electricity is going to be very comparable in, in terms of cost to what the natural gas bill is going to be. Hmm. Um, it does vary from place to place. It does vary from from installation to installation. But um, we're not seeing, you know, a doubling a cost or a tripling a cost uh, in most situations. It's quite comparable. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to our next call now. Doug Caldwell is in Port Credit, Ontario. Hi, Doug. Hi, Ian. Ian, terrific show. Warren, you're a wonderful guest. I have two quick questions. I'll try and be succinct. One, uh, in, in Port Credit, I have a, a, a high-efficiency furnace that's 15 years old. It probably may last till it's 20. Uh, I have an air conditioner that's five years old. Um, is it worthwhile when the furnace, the high-efficiency furnace, gives up that I should get a heat pump? Question, that's question one. Question two is, I'm doing a new build in Halliburton, Ontario, where the weather gets a bit cooler, and I'm just wondering, is it, is it prudent? I know, I, I doubt that there are any incentives um, for heat pumps in, uh, in a new build, but is it still wise uh, financially to put one in as opposed to relying on I suppose propane or perhaps electricity, I, uh, but it would be propane. Propane would be my backup system. All right, Doug. Uh, thanks for the questions, Warren. So for your house, um, I think that what you probably want to do is let your furnace uh, kind of run until the end of its more natural life, about 20 years. Uh, it's a high-efficiency furnace. There's a sunk cost you know, to having that and, of course, to having the air conditioner that goes with it. Um, I would wait until the furnace has kind of gotten to the end of its its natural cycle before looking at a heat pump. And I think you're going to find a system at that point that's going to work really well uh, for your needs in, in Toronto or in Port Credit. Um, for the Halliburton build, I guess it has a little bit to do with uh, when you'd be using it. Certainly, I think a heat pump makes a lot of sense. If it's going to be occupied year round, you probably would need a backup heat source. Um, and, and a propane system might be the way to do it. Um, if you are building fresh right now and you have the opportunity, you could do a ground source heat pump. Uh, and of course, a ground source heat pump can be efficient uh, right through the year and give you the heat that you need. Great questions, great answers. We have four minutes left in the program. Um, I might be able to get to two more callers here. Andrew Forrest is in Richmond, British Columbia, just outside where I'm sitting in Vancouver. Hi, Andrew. Hi. What's your question Hello? for Warren? Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Um, so I just moved into um, a condo and it is south facing. And so my um, concern um, and question about heat pumps is more for their cooling abilities. And at this time, um, my strata does not allow the installation of heat pumps. And um, I know the question came up in my last building as well. And the property manager said that um, sometimes when the stratas aren't allowing heat pumps to be installed, um, this, they are getting into like a back and forth that also includes a human rights complaint um, because of like the need to stay cool in the summertime. Mm -hmm. um, and so my question now is, 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 is there a way that to navigate um, or how do we get stratas to get on board with uh, heat pumps being installed? All right, Andrew, thank you very much. Warren? So there are some programs that are designed for um, larger buildings, so multi-unit buildings that are out there. 
And, uh, you know, one thing that you can do is get involved with the strata. And I know not everybody has the time to do that, but if you have time to volunteer, uh, participate in the meetings and push the strata to consider this as um, they're looking to refresh the heating system or the cooling system for the building. Uh, certainly the times that I've lived in a strata system, uh, you know, that was the way that you got things done as you worked with your neighbors, your your uh, co-owners, and you figured out a way to get the investment made. All right. Thank you. 90 seconds left. Let's go to one more call. Millish Joseph is in Montreal. Uh, hi, Millish. Yeah. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. And what's your question? Yeah. Yeah, my question is basically um, uh, we are adding actually population uh, like almost 500,000 or close to 1 million people every year in Canada. Mm -hmm. So by 2030, we'll be adding like maybe 3 million uh, more population or 3 million more houses. Mm -hmm. So uh, if it is with respect to climate change, are we actually seeing an improvement in carbon footprint here? Because we are close, uh, we are building 3 million more heat pumps. And even if you make a transition, are we making a positive impact on the climate? Yeah. That's my question. Are, do we have an impact on the carbon footprint with yeah. such a massive increase in population? Thank you very much. Uh, Warren, we have a minute left. Uh, what's the answer to that? So very quickly, um, the million or more people that come to live in Canada that we welcome here uh, will need places to live and we will need to heat and cool them. And we know that heat pumps are... Uh, among the most, if not the most efficient way to do that. So if we want to have the most climate-friendly solutions, we should be embracing heat pumps as a critical technology uh, to keep us comfortable throughout the year. You managed to answer that in less than a minute. You sure do know your stuff when it comes to heat pumps. And uh, I found this really interesting. And you can tell by the enthusiasm and the number of callers, uh, a lot of people find this topic interesting as well. Warren, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Warren Maybe is the director of Queen's University's Institute for Energy and Environmental Policy, and we reached him in the home of Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. That's it for Checkup, the podcast this week. You've been listening to Cross Country Checkup's live broadcast on CBC Radio from November 12, 2023. If you'd like to share comments or appear on a future show, go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. Thanks to everyone who helped this week. Our phone screeners are Catriana DeSante, Mackenzie Rabello, and Tori Goodwin. Special thanks to Emily Chiarvesio and Walter Rinaldi. Our TV team, Frankie Fiorini, Richard Grundy, Joshua Raxa, Brendan Sylvia, and Elaine Wong. Technical production and editing by Will Yar and Masheed Hattie. Program assistant is Kiata Greco. Cross Country Checkup is produced this week by Abby Plenner, Steve Howard, and Kate Helmore. Our digital producer is Paul Hanchuk. The senior producer of the program is Richard Goddard. I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. The next edition of Checkup, the podcast, will be posted after the live show next Sunday. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.